continuing on in uh, several weeks in Jonah. We're in chapter 2 this week. We're continuing to speak on the theme, living generously and compassionately. That's our theme for the fall, and we'll be looking at the book of Jonah. We'll be looking at James in the New Testament, and then, of course, Jesus. And to be able to see how God shows us his compassion both in, those, uh, in all those people, but also in those books and all the things that they go through. So uh, Jonah's a short book. It's a pretty easy read. It's just four chapters. It reads like a story. And so if you haven't gotten started yet, get started today. You'll, of course, go through some verses today. But go ahead and read that this afternoon or the next day and get prepared for next week when we'll dig into chapter 3 and to chapter 4. Jonah is very relatable. There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us when you read this book. It's something that, uh, that we all deal with. We know what's right. We know what God wants us to do. But for whatever reason, we just don't want to do it. It's piercing in its message, but it's incredibly relatable. And so we'll begin by reading chapter 1, the first two verses, before we launch into chapter 2. All right, let's read together. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because of its wickedness, it has come up to me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. We gave you a simple outline last week. The first two chapters in Jonah simply outlined, go, no, whoa. (laughs) And then the second half of the book of Jonah, chapter three and chapter four, go, yes, bless. All right, that's a simple outline. Uh, We're gonna dig in a little bit deeper. And what we've been looking at, the first, uh, first week we saw God's compassion for the nations. That is, in fact, the overall theme of Jonah and even the minor prophets, that God has great compassion, not just for a small group of people, not even just for his own chosen people. He has compassion for everybody, and the chosen people have been chosen to be his spokespeople and to be able to represent his love, mercy, and to be able to go and to bless and to share with the nations. Now, we remember the story, okay, even if you haven't read it recently, Jonah gets the word from God. Again, for whatever reason, there's several ways to look at this. He decides, I'm not going. I don't want to do this. He gets in a ship and he goes in the exact opposite direction. The Bible says to run away from the Lord, or probably more specifically to run away from his assignment from God, and to flee from the Lord, feeling like somehow if I'm out of sight, I'm out of mind, and maybe this will just all go away and God will choose somebody else. Well, you remember, they're on the ship, and God sends, this is the first, where we see the first act of God other than commissioning Jonah to preach, he sends this violent storm, and the ship is about to fall apart, and all the, uh, the pagan sailors, they're just praying and praying, Jonah's asleep in, down in the boat. And so they come and get him and say, hey, listen, wake up. You probably got some God you can pray to because we're going down. 
And, and they say, who are you? And Jonah says, well, I, I am a servant of the God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea. Now, that really, you know, frightens them. We got the guy worshiping the God who created the sea, and we're on the sea, and we're about to fall apart. Get up here and do something. And Jonah says, well, I think the only thing you can do, I'm guilty. I'm the cause of all of this. Just throw me overboard and kill me. Jonah knows he's guilty. He knows he's done wrong. He knows he's deserving. The sailors, they don't want to do that. The Bible says they rode harder and harder, okay, like trying to row through a brick wall or a wall, as we talked about last week. That doesn't work. Finally, they draw a lot. Of course, they've drawn lots earlier. It's pointed to Jonah. And finally, they say, okay, we have no other choice. They throw Jonah overboard. The, the storm immediately stops. And then you look in this last verse of Jonah chapter 1. But the Lord provided, initially a storm, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights, and from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Before we go any further, let's, uh, let's think about something. Okay, uh, Jonah was, in fact, an historical character. When you read in 2 uh, Kings chapter 14, this is during the reign of Jeroboam, you know, the second, you know, in the first half of the 8th century, you know, we get this writing from 2 Kings, that to Jeroboam too, he restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamad to as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah the son of Amittai, the prophet who was of Gathifer. And Jonah here is identified as the prophet, the son of Amittai, the same man who lived in the northern kingdom of Israel in the early to middle, you know, 700s. This is important because Jonah is an historical character. This is not just a story. It's not just a parable. In fact, Jesus uh, makes that point really solid and really clear where in Matthew chapter 12, 39 through 40, he, uh, he, he points to the sign of Jonah and he said, just like in the days, you know, you know of Jonah and uh, was in the, uh, the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the earth in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And the men of Nineveh, they're going to rise at the judgment for this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and there is something greater than Jonah here. Do you get that? Now, I know we wonder. This is a very far-fetched story. This is hard to swallow, as are there many things. You caught that. That's good. That's good. As are many things in the Bible that are of a miraculous nature, and yes, if you believe in a God who created heaven and earth, yes, you can believe that he can suspend some of those laws and do actually whatever he pleases. And if we said many times, when you create your universe, you can do whatever you want to as well, okay? In the scriptures, okay? This is, but, but, but more importantly, even though sometimes it's hard to, uh, to comprehend this and sometimes even to, wow, how, did, how would this work out? Jesus absolutely says, this happens, this is not just kind of an old wives' tale or a story. This happened and there was a specific purpose and reason in what it's pointing against. He confirmed this account as historical, we should too. If you ask, okay, how can a man or a woman you know, survive in the belly of a fish for three days? The answer is he or she probably cannot. 
They can't do it. But if God can raise somebody from the dead out of a grave who's been there for three days and three nights, he can, you know, do whatever he pleases. That's God. That's who he is. He does these things throughout history. Now, let's, uh, let's take a look in chapter 2. Because you were going to notice, here's where we're going today, okay? Uh, last week, it was all about making the point you can't run away from God. You, get, you run away from God, you're running into bad stuff, okay? And just don't do that. But God will do some things to catch your attention. And he is trying to get us to be compassionate and care about people and to open up our hearts for that. But in this chapter, and we'll get back to that theme in chapter 3 and 4. But in this chapter, chapter 2, what we're going to look at is prayer. You guys cool with that? We're going to look at prayer. We're going to look at some of the dynamics of prayer when a man or woman of God gets in trouble and gets in distress and is really hurting and going through hard times, especially times that are self-inflicted by decisions and choices and, and things that they've allowed to come in or out of, uh, of their life. And the first thing you're going to notice that will happen it's not that uh, the appearance of this, this great fish to swallow Jonah. Before Jonah is sent a fish by God, there is a prayer and a cry of distress to his awesome God. Even though he knew he was guilty, even though he knew he deserved death, even though he'd surrendered himself to the justice of God and being thrown off that boat, yet the moment when death was right there, the Bible says, Jonah remembered the Lord. And it said he remembered that God whom he had served so imperfectly was, and I'm going to use a quote from chapter 4 as he talks about the Assyrians, that God was gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and I knew he would change his mind, Jonah said in chapter 4. Now, let's take a look at, uh, at prayer and how God answers us when we're in distress. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his, uh, his God. Let's, uh, let's keep on reading. In my distress, called to the Lord, he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And you, you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents, they swirled around me. All your waves and breakers, they, they swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. And look what he says here. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. This is, uh, this is a pretty amazing thing. In chapter 2, what Jonah actually said, and keep in mind, 
is when Jonah refers to the distress that he was in, in this, uh, in this psalm that he wrote, in this prayer, he means the time he spent in the water, not the time he spent in the fish. The water is the threat of death that's going to take his life away forever. The big fish is the ark. It's the refuge of salvation. The cry of distress is in the past tense, if you read carefully. This is a good, good prayer worth reading over again. The voice of confidence and relief and thanks, that's in the present tense. And we're going to look today how God answers our prayers when we cry out to him, when we are hurting, when we're in distress. And often, many times, when we brought it on ourselves, and we just happen to be a lousy Christian at the moment. Can you still pray to God when you're being a lousy Christian? Praise God, yes. That is good news. A simple statement sums up what happened when Jonah sank in the, in the water is he cried out to God. Bottom line here, right at the very beginning of this lesson, I want to say, God answers his children when they cry out to him in distress, even when they have been lousy followers at present. Does that encourage anybody else in the room? Anybody else encouraged by that? That even when we're stinking up the joint and even when we're going through problems that, you know, for the most part, we kind of helped initiate, God still wants to hear us and answer us if we will, even if it's at the very last moment when life is ebbing away, we humble ourselves and remember the, the Lord. Wow. That's encouraging to me. I got to believe it is for you as well. Here's how one of the commentators, when I was reading through this, how he kind of related to this concept and this theme. And I'm going to borrow two or three of his points and add one or two of my own. Here's his quote. God answers us in spite of our guilt. God answers us in spite of his judgment. God answers us and delivers us from impossible situations. God answers us in the nick of time. God answers us in stages, and God answers us in our guilty distress to help us become merciful like he is. All right, I'd like to pick a couple of these. Relate a little bit personally. I think you will be as well. God answers us even in spite of our guilt. We're guilty. We've messed up. We don't want to do what God wants to do. We're going in the opposite direction. Or maybe it's not that dramatic. Maybe it's just been subtle over a period of time. And so we are guilty. We've gotten ourselves in a lot of these situations. God's discipline has brought some of it on as well to get our attention. God answers our cry of distress when we're guilty. Jonah was not on his way to Nineveh when he slipped on the deck off a rope and fell over into the water. Man overboard! That's not how it went down. Jonah was on that boat rebelling against God. Jonah was on that boat in self-will, just going completely in a different direction and not wanting to hear it any, any, anymore. I'm not coming back to church. I'm not doing this. I don't, want to, I don't want to get with you. I'm out of here. That's why he was in the water. Now, is it okay if I can just be direct like for a minute? 
I'm direct with myself. Kelly's direct with me. Ryan's direct with me. Let me be direct. Some of you right now are in trouble precisely because of your disobedience. Right here. Sitting right here with all of us. We've been worshiping. We've been making our strong attempts to try to be what we need to be this morning. But we're in trouble. We're in distress. Could be physical distress. Could be financial distress. Could be emotional distress. Could be relational uh, distress. Could be um, a, a, a mental sense of un, uh, unhealthy, not, not a sense of well-being, but, but uptight and, uh, and just not at peace. Wow. Anybody else ever been there? I have been there. Psalm 51, the man after God's own heart had been there. And lots of people in the Bible have been there. They got good intentions. They love God. They've done well. But they have slipped. Okay? They have slipped. And, they, 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 and, and they're crying out like David did. Oh, Creating me a clean heart, oh God. And don't cast me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit, you know, you know, from me. While there have been some times in my life where I really have brought such dramatic trouble on myself and other people because of this kind of heart and just going in the wrong direction. And, you know, sometimes it can just start spiraling down, right? And even the good things in our life you can't fully appreciate and be super grateful, you know, for. We've all, I think most of us, if we're honest, have gone through that kind of thing. And yes, you may be in trouble this morning because of your disobedience. It's not random. It's not merely circumstantial. It's not bad luck. You know what God wants you to do or not do, and you are saying no and pretending not to listen or to ignore and it's called your conscience, and sometimes God uses people into your life. And sometimes, as we learn in the case of Noah, even people who aren't really uh, Christians are people who are particularly understanding God in the right way, but they help bring this, you know, to our attention. And you may be wondering at that point, and we certainly have through the years, is there hope for me? Will God have mercy on me and hear my cry and hear my prayer when I am in distress, even though I've been rebellious, I've been disloyal, I've been unspiritual, I have blown off the Lord of the universe. If so, take heart from an unlikely source. Take heart from the rebellious prophet of the mid-eighth century, Jonah. A little bit of Jonah in all of us, wouldn't you say? In his distress, it was the fruit of his guilt, his choices, his pride, but God did answer him, and he gave him another chance. Is this not amazing grace? I say that's amazing grace, and it's just another example. They just flow off the pages of the Bible everywhere you turn. It's not an isolated teaching in Scripture. Look at this Psalm 107. You may want to turn there, or you just may want to follow along. Some sat in darkness and gloom, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God 
and they spurned the counsel of the Most High, just like Jonah. Their hearts, they were bowed down with hard labor. They, they fell down and none was there to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and gloom. He broke the bonds asunder. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the sons of men. Amen. Amen. Adult, family groups, small groups, we're meeting in our homes, you know, uh, the next two Wednesdays. And we've got some information in the newsletter about it and on the online version, an entire, you know, a page on it. We'll probably send out an email in the next couple of days. And you're going to see throughout the fall, we're going to be using the last two midweeks basically on our, in our adult small groups and family groups to be able to discuss what we're looking at and the next two will in fact be about Jonah. This would be a great thing to think about and to share openly and personally. And isn't that one of the great things about our church family? We just don't come with a big group, you know, worship together, maybe hear a decent sermon and then kind of go out and do our best for the rest of the week. We actually get together and work with each other and help each other. And we're open and we talk about, hey, you know, I'm stinking up the place, but I really, <laughs> help me out. Pray for me, or I'm doing really good, good news, you know? I just talked to two people in my office and they gave me $70, wow, you know? Or whatever the good news happens to be. This is what we want to discuss. Job uh, 36, even Job, wow. Somebody not in his rebellion, but who, he was blameless. He was just a target of Satan. But even he learned that God delivers the afflicted by their affliction, and he opens their ear by adversity. God's discipline, adversity. You know, it can so often be redemptive, not punitive. And even if we felt the very hand of God heavy on me, as you, you sense in many of those psalms that you, you do read, God's not against us in our distress. He still wants us to call out to him and to pray to him and to humble ourselves before him. And so this morning, if any of this is, is true and if this shoe fits in any way and if... Uh, you know, if you know, and probably you do know sitting here, like you felt a little voice in your head or in your heart or a little stomach may have turned over once or twice and you realize, you know, I, I think I may be there. I think I may be running from something that I know is right, that God wants me to do or to emphasize in my life or to stop doing. And, well, may, maybe I'm actually causing some of this grief that I happen to be going through in my own, to my own self. But in spite of our guilt, all of us can say amen. All of those in need of grace and compassion can say amen. We can take a breath, a big sigh of relief and go, thank you, God. You know, you could do that right this very second. You could just start praying to God, okay? And you could just start talking to God right now and say, God, you know, thank you for the ways you've delivered me in the past. Thank you for putting something on my heart since I got here today, something I can work on, something that can help me please you more. And God, sometimes it's just saying, God, can you help me to be willing to be willing? Can you just work with me and help me make another step? Okay, and you, you can, talk, you, can you do that? Can you talk to God during, during a song, during a prayer, during a summer? Sure you can. He's just right there. The Bible says he's at the elbow. He's inside of you. If you have the Holy Spirit and become a disciple, you know, of Jesus Christ. It's such, such good news. God hears us and answers our prayers of distress 
in spite of our guilt, amen. He also answers us in our distress and when we seem to be in an impossible situation. Do you get that from the book of Jonah? He reminds us of that. Look in verse 5. Okay, back to chapter 2. Let's look at it one more time. Verse 5. The engulfing waters, they threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I was sunk down. And the earth beneath me forever. But you brought my life out of the pit. These verses describe the extremity of Jonah's situation. The waters closed in over me, that seaweed over my head. I'd sunk like a rock down. I was, it felt like I was going to be swallowed up forever. It's bad enough to fall into the ocean when it's calm, right? Anybody ever done that? But to fall into it in a raging storm and you're sinking like a rock, that is pretty tough. You feel like you're getting sucked down so deep that you're never going to come, never going to come back. Anybody in here almost drowned? Anybody gotten close? Or at least you felt like, wow, man, I think I need some help. I'm about to pass out. It is a frightening thing. It's a frightening thing. And the rest of us, sometimes we know experiences where we thought, wow, I may be out of here. This may be it, you know, for, you know, for me. I am in dire circumstances, you know, right, you know, right now. Um, it's, uh, this is no more evident, I think, on a spiritual level than in many marriages. You ever feel like, man, my marriage, my faith, it just seems impossible. Got some friends like that? Some people do because half the people end, end up getting divorced, you noticed? And how many people are in misery just staying together? I, I don't know that there's anywhere in any relationship where, uh, where this can be more evident, where you just feel like it is absolutely impossible. I care about this person. I love, it's just not, I, I just don't see any way this is going to get fixed. And in Jesus Christ, it does and it can. Amen. We've all seen it. We've been through it. I've been through it. My wife has been through it. Even being in the church, at times where it got something, you just wonder, is this ever going to change? Yes, it can change. Anybody's walk with God. Anybody's marriage can change. Is it going to be difficult? You bet. Does it seem impossible? You bet. Is it impossible? No, it's not impossible, okay? If that's God's will. It's not always every time. But aren't you glad we have a message out there to people who want to be together and stay together and have a great life and yet it gets impossible and you just feel like I got to give up okay I got to give up it's all over I can't do this anymore our spiritual lives can be like that our faith can get like that and then sometimes just on the the challenges of life anybody else notice that sometimes our troubles and distresses seem to come in bunches you guys don't even know. <laughs> Who loves our campus students and teens? Amen. They inspire us. But they don't particularly aren't the ones that inspire us with all they've gone through in their lives. Now a few of you have. I don't mean to minimize that. But for most of you, you've seen some trouble and distress come in batches. And when I was 20, okay, in college, Hey, you're not immune. I had a batch, three or four in a row. Almost just wiped me out as far as with family members and other challenges and that type of thing. You know, sometimes in the course of our marriage, 
the love of my life, Kelly, she's going through challenges and batches, haven't you? It just seems like it's coming and it's not stopping. Some of my dearest, our dearest friends in the church, even over the last year or two, you know, it just comes in batches. I mean, we just say some names like, you know, Jamie Janice, Lily Mullis, or the Malutnaks, you know, or LaPointe's, or there are many. When it just comes in bunches. These things, of course, not self-inflicted. But when we're in our distress, wow, God absolutely wants us to cry out to him. And in impossible situations, he can make this amazing. You know what Jesus said? Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Yeah, it's impossible, but not with God. He's not a bellhop. He's just not going to give you exactly what you want when you want it or do it just the way that you want. But he, he really can transform impossible situations, especially if we give him a little time and we're given humility and, and we do it his way. How many times is this in the Bible? The Red Sea, David, Goliath, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the lion's den, Peter in prison, Lazarus dead three days, Jesus in the tomb. Wow! It's just on and on and on. With impossible situations, God moves, but you know where God really, he just moves in everyday life. When we're humble and we say, he says go and we say yes and he says bless in so many ways. And of course related, God hears us in distress not just in spite of our guilt, not just through impossible situations, but often in the nick of time. Did you see what this said with Jonah? Did you see it here in verse 7? Look at it one more time. In verse 7, when my life was what? Ebbing away, dripping, it's, it's, it's going, going, almost gone. Haven't some of us had those kind of experiences too? I mean, it's just about over, you know, for us. But in the nick of time, God can come through. And this is, this is, this is what this actually the main point here is. When my life was ebbing, ebbing away, then I remembered the Lord. Right? He was going down. It was all over. But he got humble. Now, I've said this wrong in the past. And Douglas reminded us at AIM yesterday, as you get, get a little bit older, you realize, oops, I was wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not just in my behavior, but some of the things I believed and even said. I've said before, sometimes glibly, because I thought it was cute, you know, and funny. You know, the real miracle... Of, uh, of the book of Jonah is not that he was swallowed by a big fish, you know, and survived three days. The real miracle was it took him three days to start praying. <laughs> That's a cute saying, just not true. I actually floated it out there last week to see if you would catch it. No. He was going down. He was going down, going, going, and he remembered the Lord, and then he started praying. Right when he was about to disappear for good, right at the very, he started praying. No, not after three days. Wow. Probably maybe he was losing consciousness. Maybe he just woke up for the first time in the belly of that, of that big fish, 
And this gives us courage to keep on crying out to God. I mean, even if we're about to go down, you know, remember the Lord, don't give up on this. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Be that persistent, you know, uh, knocker and seeker and, and, uh, and, and prayer that we read about in the Bible. And then, uh, you know, I, I got to say this, because we're winding down. God answers us in our distress in spite of our guilt and sin. He answers us in our distress in impossible situations frequently and often in the nick of time. And many times we wish this weren't true, but he answers us in our distress in stages. Now, I think this is kind of important for us to all get. We got to get this one in our head, you know, or get out of our head this, uh, this notion, this all or nothing notion of prayer, of answered prayer. That's just not how it, it works, all or nothing. I, I think we can be pretty sure, what do you think? When Jonah cried out to God, he did not go, God, save me by putting me in the belly of a big stinky fish. Please, God. Doubt that was exactly the prayer. It was the vehicle. He said, God, save me. I'm cast from your presence. I'm going down, have mercy. And God's answer, yeah, it did come in stages. Hardly seems like the belly of a fish is salvation. Sure was, though, wasn't it? And Jonah was granted enough consciousness to realize that he'd been spared from drowning and there was hope. You know what's nice? He doesn't seem to complain about the conditions in the ark. That's good, isn't it? Because there are times we can complain about the conditions of being in his ark, in his church, and the ways that God gets us out of situations. I know, I'm just like you. I'm tempted to do the same thing. But Jonah does accept as the first stage of his ultimate salvation and God preserving his life and actually helping him get back together spiritually, we hope. You know, he accepted that as the first stage of, of what was going to come. Can we do that? Can, can we see small answers, and well, this was not small, but intermediate things to help us get where we hope to be and see God working in, in that? Deliverance belongs to the Lord. That's how he ends up that prayer. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Let's not disregard the partial or incomplete works of God. If he chooses to save us and heal us by stages, don't you think he just might have good purposes in mind? Romans 8, 28. That he works all things together, how? For good. For those who do what? Who love him and called according to his purpose. That's right. Sure he does in all of these ways. Hey, let's be grateful. How about it? For any improvement in our condition. How about that? Let's be grateful for any insights he gives us along the way. Let's be grateful for any renewed convictions, you know, that we'll be able to get as God keeps working in our life. A fish's belly is better than weeds around your neck at the bottom of the sea. On that, we can agree. Even if it's not a comfortable living room, Jonah was not in a recliner ordering some Papa John's and watching the Falcons in that fish. That was not comfortable, but was it ever good? God didn't send a yacht or a cruise ship, all-inclusive. That's not what he sent. He sent a big old stinking fish. Amen to that. Yes, God answers us in stages, not all of which are comfortable. 
You know that, don't you, veterans? And all of us are learning that more and more, you bet. Hey, church, can we deal with that? Can we appreciate and be grateful for that? Can we write and sing and reflect psalms and hymns about that? Can we do that? Can we sing a song of praise and gratitude for God's goodness and his grace and his love and and the unveiling, sometimes a stage at a time, for his plan in, uh, you know, in our lives. And then finally, okay, finally, let me just, let me just say a couple of words about this. The natural result of what all of this should be. When we do believe and feel like God has answered our prayers and he's, he's pulled us through tough situations and he's given us some healing or some insight or some renewed conviction or special relationships that can help us along, along the way, when those things begin to happen, the natural response, here you see what Jonah's is. He says in verse, in verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, he's in the belly of this whale, but I, with, with a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited him up on, on the dry land. All right, Papa John's, here I come. You see his response? It took a while, didn't it? Does it take a while for me and you? You bet, sometimes. It took a while, but it, but, but it happened there. And, and what he comes up, he realizes, I gotta be loyal to God and his people. I gotta be loyal because when we're going through things, you know, like this, we get a little disloyal to each other. We get a little disloyal to God's kingdom. And it's, we get a disloyal to God and what his assignment is. And it's more like a burden instead of, wow, he's giving me a privilege, even though sometimes it's hard, giving me so many great friends and blessings along the way and challenges along the way that we were able to go through. But he says, you know, my loyalty and my thanksgiving, it's like Titus chapter two, you know, the grace of God, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and, and yes to all the good things of the grace of God, it filled Jonah with renewed conviction that if you forsake God and run from God, that's not good. It's going to go the wrong way. And God taught Jonah, you know, if you leave the Lord, man, you're running away from grace and compassion and mercy. And he filled up Jonah's mouth with thanksgiving. And don't you remember the prayers of thanksgiving often just activate the power of God even more? and activate his blessing and activate all the good things we want to experience in our life and for our families, you know, as well. Yeah, loyalty, thanksgiving, and then, you know, before we end, can we just say a word about the vows? Jonah said, I'm gonna renew my vows to you. Any of you ever made vows to God? You ever made commitments to God? Amiah is gonna be baptized, you know, just a, a, a young teen, a young mature make, teen making decisions that six-year-olds can't even make. He's going to make a decision. After church, we're going to gather around. Those who know her in the family are going to share. And she's going to, and they're gonna, they'll say good things about her. And uh, even though she knows all the rest of the story. And, and, and they'll ask her for, if she believes in Jesus Christ, is the son of God. And, and she'll say yes. And then they'll say, what is your confession, Amaya? And she will say Jesus is Lord. That's a vow. And she will have looked at what it means to follow Jesus. 
She would have read passages like Luke 14, you know, about giving up everything to follow him, loving him with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength, being willing to take up the cross daily and follow Jesus, not just believe in him and go to a few church services and enjoy worship, but to really follow him even when it's hard and when it's difficult and when you fall down, you're going to get back up because you're making a commitment to God. And we've made commitments to each other. And to go back and, and Jonah realize, wow, I've been saved. I'm so thankful. But I'm also, I'm getting renewed conviction about what it's like if people aren't following you. That's not good. It's just going to hurt their own lives. And, and, and I'm going to renew my vows. You know there's a lot in the Bible about vows? Just check it out. Do your Bible gateway. You start going through Psalms. It's like, whoa, man, I'm going to make my vows before your people. I'm under vows to you, my God. God, you've heard my vows. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I'll fulfill my vows. Malachi, cursed be the cheat who has what he promised to God and vows to give it and doesn't give. Well, there's a lot in there. And then, of course, when you make a vow, to God, when we make a commitment to God, don't delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to make one than to make one and not fulfill it. Amen? And again, praise God, we're not judged on our perfect execution of our vows and commitments, but that is what naturally happens to a grateful man or woman when he understands God's grace, and even though we don't deserve it, he not only gave Jesus to die for our sins, but continues to forgive us and love us and empower us and bring stuff into our life to give us what we need, and then we can just say again, you know, I want, I, I want to renew myself to do what I know is right. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, David said in Psalm 51, and renew a willing spirit in me. Jonah probably knew that passage. Maybe he was quoting it as well. And then he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And then, and then you remember what he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. And kind of get back to what I know you want me to be able, you know, to do. Here's the thing. How about we just do this? Let, uh, let these first chapters in the book of Jonah help remind us that we just, we just need to focus on being humble. Humble before God. At AIM, you know, Tom Jones was teaching a class and he said it was on healthy doctrines yesterday. And he said, we need to make sure we restore the healthy doctrine of humility, which is, which is absolutely essential. Jonah lost it. He's getting some back. Hope he'll be obedient. Hopefully he'll live a life, you know, in that. But here's how important it is, guys, as we close this out. We'll close it out by singing, in fact, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord in just a moment. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, you know, unless all of us, me, you, all of us, become like little children, we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this little child, that's the one who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jonah, man, we're glad you made it. You got prideful just like us. You got self-willed, arrogant, insensitive, prejudiced. Didn't want to do what God said. However, Jonah, you humbled yourself in the nick of time. And God answered quickly, dramatically, just in the nick of time. Yeah, a little bit in stages and a result thanksgiving and renewal 
of our vows. How about we follow that example to the glory of God?